biggest plot hole in both the movie and the book? The biggest plot hole. Okay. NASA evidently was approached by Mark Watney and the directors of the movie uh, to say, hey, will you support us uh, in terms of making a movie out of this book? NASA engineers had read the novel, loved it, and they thought it was great, but they said there's one major flaw in terms of how the, how the book is portrayed. Welcome, welcome everyone to the Tutor Realm Podcast. My name is Richard. And my name is Richard as well. This is my father, If for people who don't know. Special episode today where we're actually talking about The Martian, both the book and the movie. And because Austin hasn't read the book, I got my dad to. And look, it's a pleasure to be here. And yeah. A, and I'm looking forward to this, and it's a great book and a great movie. Okay. Well, yeah. so right off the gate, if you're interested in supporting us, you can go ahead and click the Patreon link down below where we have exclusive book club and other community book clubs. It's a ton of fun. We do once a month for, as of recording today, we're doing The Grace of Kings for the coming month. It's a lot of fun. Now, let's get into it. All right. Let's so, do it. Sure. First off, I want to hear what what was the book about? This story is, from your, from your uh, words, what is this book about? Spoiler free. Okay, it's a uh, it's a futuristic look, not too many years in the future, where NASA actually has a strong program within the United States government and actually mounts a mission of several missions to Mars. It doesn't go into a lot of detail about the, what the reasons are. It's exploration, okay? They're on their third mission to Mars. A couple of missions have been there before. There's an accident during a, a dust storm, the... The crew is forced to leave uh, Mars planet very early, and one of the astronauts gets left behind. Thought to be dead, but turns out he's alive. And the most of the uh, most of the novel and the book are about this man surviving against very unbelievable odds by himself. Uh, he has some assistance from Earth, and the actual interactions of NASA to try to rescue him. Uh, of course, I'm not going to give away too much of the book or the movie by saying he does make it back to Earth. Uh, but it's an adventure story. It's an adventure story against tremendous odds, and it's fairly realistic. So, yeah. I think that was one of the highlights of both the book and, well, mostly the book, of how realistic it was. The uh, NASA made a comment that, as many many NASA personnel love the, love the book, Mm -hmm. and they supported the making of the movie. The one thing they found uh, that was not accurate was a... Well, oh, okay. We'll save that. Save that save for that. the spoiler section. We'll, right. we'll keep that keep that in the back, keep you guys listening. But okay, spoiler-free, before we get into spoilers here, right. what did you rate the book? At using our official Rambler rating, I get to force my dad into this. It's fun. <laughs> I'd have to give it a seven. Seven out of ten. Seven out of ten. That is the average. That's the average. Yes. Okay. And what did you give the movie? I gave the movie an eight. An eight out of ten. So you liked the movie more. There's some aspects of the movie which I thought stood out a little bit better than the book. 
facet. Okay, so we're going to have a bit of a disagreement on this okay. one. So for uh, the Richard Rambler rating, I gave the book an 8.8 out of 10. And I gave the movie a 6.75 out of 10. Wow. I think I think you're being a little bit harsh on the movie. Possibly. Okay. Possibly. But we'll we'll explain it in okay. little detail. But I, so, I, have, I have some specific reasons why mm-hmm. I liked certain aspects of the movie that were better than the book, but really why I liked the uh, – and those things about the book which I didn't like. Okay. okay. But we can talk about them. So we're going right into spoilers. This is your chance to click off and then – Go read and watch, and then I'll come on back. So right out, right off the gate, let's talk about the book first. Okay. Sure. So the book, what did you give the emotional impact? Emotional impact I gave is a seven. Seven out and of ten. Seven out of ten. Look, the you're not quite sure how it's going to turn out, particularly as he has a series of mishaps uh, and technical problems he has to work through, but he, he does overcome them. But... In some ways, the emotional impact was less because Mark Watney appears to be supremely confident. This is a guy who is a technical Superman. Okay, he can <laughs> fix anything. Uh, and even though there's some things he can't fix, which, you know, the, the part gets fried or something like that, he's able to solve something that average you and me, we would throw up our hands and just say, I go, I'm going to die today. Okay, <laughs> I'm not going to get through this. However, he does, and it's technically possible for the person who's very determined and who's very, very knowledgeable. But uh, I would say because of his confidence, it was less of an emotional—it was not as emotionally uh, impact impacting on me. That was my feeling. I had the opposite approach. Okay. Um, it was, I was far more energized and enthralled in the story because of his confidence in the level of detail he goes into. And on top of that, I think the threats that he faces in the book are far greater than how they do it in the movie. I, there's there's well, key would... moments in the movies where yeah. the book incredibly intense and like you're you're on the edge of your seat reading it. And in the movie it's kind of just a one and done. It doesn't feel that threatening. Well I'd have to agree with you on one aspect of on that aspect. They drop some things out of the, particularly some of the the problems that he has. They drop those out of the movie entirely, which basically he kind of has smooth sailing, you know, close to the end. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't think they should have dropped him out. Like the second dust storm, he getting out of that was fantastic, the way that was portrayed in the book. And also, and you'll, you'll see in the movie, the movie he has calm, he has communications with NASA all the way throughout. Well... He loses most of his communications with NASA about the in the second half of his adventure on Mars mm. uh, due to a technical problem. So he's basically by himself using Morse code to communicate with Earth, which that's a difference. Okay, so in, in that respect, I'd say, like, you're correct. There are some things he, they left out of the movie which were disappointing to me. I so wish they kept them in. If we're comparing the movie and book now, that's so correct. we— we gave your emotional impact for the book. What was your emotional impact for the movie? I gave him a, the emotional impact for the movie. I gave us an eight. Eight out of ten compared of to 10. the book, which was a seven. Yeah. And I'll tell you, my primary reason for that is that in in the book, because of Mark Watney's confidence in himself, you, you don't get that feeling like he's really on the edge and he's about to go under. 
where mm-hmm. there are some scenes in the um, in the movie where basically you see Matt Damon, who's portraying Mark Watney, as being very, very nervous. Like he's not he's not going to make it. And some of it too is that the humor that Mark Watney presents in the book, oh yeah, overwhelms any doubts he has. I mean, he's able to make light out of most uh, out of the most dire circumstances. It doesn't come through as much in the movie. The movie, like particularly, he's getting ready to launch for his rendezvous with the uh, mothership. You can see the sweat on his face. He is nervous, and a couple of times, like he's he's back there, he bangs his. He banks his hands on the keyboard when he has a when he has a problem. Mm-hmm. You don't see that in the book. So you, no. I saw Mark Watney as being more realistic and human, and basically not as emotionally stable uh, in the movie mm-hmm. as he was in the book. And actually, in that sense, more realistic. Well, see, that actually gets to a tonal change between the book and the movie. Okay. Where how I saw the book is Mark Watney's chapters were the funniest but also the most tense like it had a great dichotomy it swapped between a super intense scene of like life and death and then mark's sense of humor really coming through where with nasa there's barely any humor with the nasa people it was there's pretty it was one it was less less of the page count and the humor came from the straight man of nasa trying to get mark to do things and then Mark just like giving them the bird, and they are con- that that con- comedy was so funny to me. Like my favorite like laugh laugh out loud moment was they've lost communications with Mark right. in the book, and they're looking at pictures uh, from their satellites, and they look at it, and they're seeing he's doing more modifications to his rover, and they're looking at it going, "What is he doing? Why is he still modifying it? He, he was already finished with modifications. What's he doing to the side?" and they theorize, oh, he's making, he's using part of the hab material to make a workroom on the Mav in case he needs to repair something. Man, that that Mark guy is just so smart. Swap back to um, Mark. He's like, for the love of God, I just need a bedroom. I refuse to sleep <laughs> in that stupid rover another night, and I just want to lay down. And that was just so funny of the different priorities of the priorities of the man's survival like on the desert planet right. is alien to everyone at NASA. And it, yeah. or the moments where all the alarms are going off and NASA's freaking out going, Oh my God, the water reclaimer, we got to fix this. And Mark's like, I've been hearing these alarms for the past like six months. <laughs> like, right. I'll get to it. <laughs> like this is nor like, that heightened anxiety has become normalized for him. And just that kind of casualness was so funny. Well, and I really missed out on that in the movie. One of the uh, one of the funniest exchanges I saw was where Mark is complaining about the oxygen, uh, the oxygen regenerator. Mm-hmm. And he thinks that there's a problem. It's not regenerating the way it should be. So no, it was actually the water. The water, the water reclaimer. Yeah, you know, the water reclaimer. So he He's talking to NASA, and he says, he says to the NASA representative, hey, I think I'm going to take it apart because I think it might have a clogged line, and I can clear it. And the NASA guy says, no, don't do it. You're going to mess it up. You'll mess it up good. You'll break it. Well, Mark goes ahead and does it anyway. And he goes back to them and says, 
hey, I took it apart. I found it was a clog line. It's working perfectly now at 100%. And the NASA guy sends back a one-word message, you dick. <laughs> that, to me, kind of says, hey, here's the, here's the dynamics between the guy on the spot, the, the man in the arena, and the person looking up from afar. You know, yeah. You dick. Well, yeah. it just makes... Okay, I don't know about you, but Mark Watney is is living the like every every guy has had the masculine urge to like oh, yeah. just be put in a situation where you're solving all these problems. Survive against all like, odds. He is like the Ubermensch kind of thing. Like he is oh, yeah. just going through like there's a crisis, he solves it and through these creative ways with some stoicism and humor. And that is just so enjoyable of a journey. Well, this is the thing about the book that I think makes it attractive is that uh, most guys, and I don't know about women, but even probably women, same thing. They look at a person like that and they kind of say, hey, I wish I could do some things like that. Hey, if I was going to confront a situation like that, would, would I have the strength of character to go ahead and persevere and fix it beyond? And this guy comes through. And hey, whether it's build a cabin by yourself in the woods... <laughs> Go on, a, go on a thousand mile hike on your own, or just fix Whoa. the toaster that's broken in your <laughs> kitchen. We all want to be able to do that, and Mark yeah. Watney does over and over again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. it just makes so much fun, yeah. and in an, also a very understanding way. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, oh, there's also a moment in the movie. So, if we're comparing these two things, the fact that the movie dropped a lot of the most emotional scenes for me that the book had. Really lowered it, in my opinion. And I think the tone was off, where NASA was far more humorous, and they had too much too much of NASA's point of view, and then Mark's was kind of cut short, which I don't think should have been. Hmm. And that left me a little emotionally off. And then also the ending. I really disliked the ending of the movie. I agree with that. And it spoiled—I think I had to knock a whole point off hmm. just because of that ending for me, well, uh, compared to the book. Yeah, in fact, I, I would agree with you. The ending for me, just to let you know, and I guess we're spoiling maybe a little bit too much, but you know, of course, Mark Watney is rescued. Oh, don't worry, we're in the spoiler section. We're in the spoiler. We're section. in spoilers. Look, we're, Mark, we're long past. Look, Mark Watney is rescued at the end. Okay, the the Hermes mothership basically comes down, gets close to him, and they snag him and they bring him in. But in the uh, in the book, it's. It's as it's as the commander planned it. They have one guy who's the EVA specialist. He basically they get close enough. They have a lot of problems getting close, but they finally, through manipulations with the pilot and the commander's guidance, they get that ship right close enough where that guy goes out on the EVA, snatches Mark Watney out of the seat, where he's coupled in, and basically hauls him back on a tether back to the mothership, which is as they planned it, and it worked out well. Okay. And it puts everybody in the right role. Okay. That EVS specialist was the best at what he did. And the pilot was good at getting that ship as close as they could down to Mark Watney. Well, in the movie, of course, they don't get the mothership as close as they need to, uh, to Mark Watney. And he's basically tumbling around there in space, 250 yards out. Well, the tether only goes out and it's about 50, 50 yards short. So Mark Watney punches a hole in his suit <laughs> and uses the escaping oxygen to propel him towards the woman in the tether. And the problem is, is that 
the commander at the last second because she's she feels bad anyway about leaving Mark behind and doesn't want to risk any any other crewman's life. She decides to do the EVA herself. She essentially abandons her post as a commander and she takes the action of uh of you know the common the, the EVA specialist where the EVA guy he is the best at what he does. He's yeah. got the best chance of success. And she wants to basically put herself in the role of the rescue queen. And I just thought that that was, it was inappropriate as a commander to do that. I don't think a commander would do that. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was done for a dramatic effect in the movie and maybe it carried through, but I like the idea of a commander being a true commander Yeah, in control of the situation, controls the troops, gives clear guidance, and those troops execute what's supposed to happen. And up to that point in the movie, I think she was a good commander. She's an excellent commander. Yeah, yeah it, it was that last decision. Yeah, but I disagree I, with it, I and found, I agree with you. I found it really funny how the book has the moment where Mark actually recommends, oh, I'll poke a hole in my suit and I'll fly out to you guys. And everyone was like, that's a, that's bad a, idea. That's a terrible plan. That's the worst idea ever, and they right. don't do it in the book. Yeah. But that gave her the idea to excel the atmosphere from the ship to slow him down. Right, sure. Which, and that was great. That was great. A great use of great use of the idea. But ultimately, yeah, poking a hole in your spacesuit to fly out to them yeah. is a stupid plan. And they do it yeah. in the movie. I the, find yeah, that very funny. For those of you who haven't read it, the Hermes ship shuts down their engines, but they're still by momentum kind of propelling along at a fa fairly fast rate. And they need to slow it down so they can get within very close distance. And they can't figure out how to slow down the ship. Well, this idea of Mark to punch his hole in the suit gives the commander the idea of let's put an explosive charge on the hull to a, a port and basically make a opposite charge against the direction of the momentum, which basically stops the ship, that explosive charge. And they wouldn't have stopped the ship otherwise, and they would have missed Mark Watney by several hundred meters, mm -hmm. and they would have flown past. So it was a great, it was a great, uh, it was a great idea, and they thought on their feet. And hey, you talk about high anxiety. You talk about I mean, you only have I a few minutes to make a decision like that. Hey, make a bomb, make <laughs> it go off, put it in the right place, and stop the ship. That's tough to do. From what I understand, though, like I, yeah. I remember someone saying, like, "Oh man, that must be hard for like the chemist to just like make a bomb, I, like off of materials on hand." And from what I heard is pretty easy. So, well, someone told me is like, well, most of chemistry, the the lessons and all the classes and all the knowledge that you're gaining is not how to make a bomb. It's how not to, to make a bomb. It's right. very easy to make things go boom. And most of chemistry is figuring out, hey, what do you do to not make things go boom? That's right. So it's a good pretty point. easy for it was like okay. <laughs> making things go boom easy. Oh yeah, making things not go boom. That's hard. Very true. But let's move on to the characters okay. for both the book and the movie. All right. I gave the book's characters an 8.25 out of 10, and I gave the movie a 7 out of 10. Hmm. What did you give it? I gave them both an 8. Both an 8. Both an 8. Didn't see much of a difference between the character representation. No, it was... Here's my... Here's the reason why I gave both of them an 8. The, mm -hmm. the character Mark Watney in the book is superb okay you have a lot of opportunity to see him develop you see his inner you see his inner soul and he's got a lot of dialogue because he's talking to himself as he's doing his uh, 
his daily summary and his uh, is basically his log of, of his actions. Uh, so I thought pretty well done. And also you see you see him interact. You see a, a pretty good set of the uh, of the other characters, the NASA characters. You see them develop, and also the other crew members. The other crew members were pretty decent. Okay, the commander, the EVA specialist, the navigator, the pilot. The pilot was very well done by Martinez. Uh, so I thought, in terms overall, it was pretty decent. Okay, the uh, the write up of the characters in the in the novel on at NASA, I don't think it was as well done. Uh, could you explain that? Why okay. do you think it wasn't as well done in the book compared to the movie? Okay, for one thing, you there's a lot of anxiety that you see within the uh, within the characters of NASA within the movie that you don't see in the book. In the book, they're kind of kind of they're kind of one off. I mean, to be truthful, you don't see the development of the character, whereas you see the you see more of an for example, and with one exception, and I'm going to say that's a, it's a character of the NASA director. And that's the reason why I gave the NASA director an eight. Uh, and then also in, he was, a, he was one of the best NASA characters portrayed in the movie. Whereas I don't mm. think he was as strong in the book. Oh, in the uh, book, he's kind of the antagonist by the end. Yeah. Where he's seen in a far more negative light where everyone kind of calls him the coward. Right. And how he was making a, PR move instead of the right move. Right. Uh, but, you know, he's a bureaucrat. And that's the whole idea of NASA. NASA are bureaucrats. They're there to be, and he is overwhelmingly concerned with the PR image and keeping the program alive. He's going to mm -hmm. do whatever it costs to keep the program of NASA alive as opposed to, say, somebody coming back alive or risk, and he doesn't want to risk the mission. He's thinking of the five people that are on board that aircraft and saying, I don't want to risk them any more than I have to. Mm -hmm. And he sees the whole rescue mission of Mark Watney, of Mark Watney to be a risk. And it is. Okay? Yeah. There's a chance that uh, nobody's going to come back alive. So he doesn't want to risk that. But the thing I liked about the book, and the reason why I gave, I gave the book an eight for the characters, uh, was the character of Jeff Daniels. He comes along, like there's a scene in the movie where... I want to... Clear. Hold off on it? Well, no, you were saying the yeah. You gave an eight to the characters for the book, right? Or the characters for the movie. Actually, it's both, but it's okay. Uh, it's a there's a difference there. For example, I don't think that Mark Watney is as well portrayed in the movie as he is in the book. As he is in the book, okay. And I it's, I it's, agree with you on that. It's the dialogue, okay. He's mm -hmm. got more dialogue in the book than he does in the movie. Understandable. The characters in the the characters in the book, the crew members are much better portrayed because they have more dialogue, there's more scenes. There's not as much of that in the movie with the with the other characters the, in the crew. The big the big missing part was that the cannibalism scene. Oh yeah. Oh that was great, that was great yeah. in the book. Oh my god, where they have basically come to the decision of realizing that if the mission fails, they don't they're not going to have enough food to make it back. Right. And so they basically decided on one of the characters eat like they would all five four out of the five people would kill themselves and the one person would eat the others to survive to get back right. to earth yeah. and oof 
What a <laughs> and there's a there's a joking scene. Martinez being Hispanic asks one of his uh, the crewmate who's going to be the survivor and says, "Well, who are you going to eat first? Uh, I'm going to eat me." And says, "Hey, I thought you liked Mexican food, okay?" <laughs> and anyway, so she gets embarrassed and she doesn't answer. But it's once again that humor that kind of comes comes across in moments of great tension to break the tension. You have humor, and they do that in both the book and the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's good. But with the movie, you think the NASA characters were better portrayed? How I do. So, so I do. you got the director of NASA. Why do you think he was portrayed better in the movie than he was in the book? For one thing, and I've been in government myself, and I've I've seen guys portray themselves. He's very measured in the way he does things. He's also very deliberate. Okay, you see you see leaders in these senior administrative positions, they'll futz around and they'll kind of have a hard time making a decision. Not Jeff Daniels in terms of his portrayal of NASA director. He's he actually executes pretty quickly. He makes decisions, weighing in decision. He asks for opinions. He asks for other people's uh, views on what they think they ought to do, and then he makes a decision. He portrays a very good role and a good position as a good role as a as a leader. I thought. Mm-hmm. Now, does he make some decisions that other people don't like? Absolutely. And that's understandable. In fact, other people, they call him a coward. They call him a fucking coward. Maybe I shouldn't say the F word on, on screen, eh, but anyway. Austin can mute it if he, okay, he, if he deems it, it okay. necessary, Perfect. he could mute it. He calls him an effing coward. Okay, I'll go ahead and correct that for the scene. The, <laughs> uh, and he kind of takes it, but maybe he realizes it, but he's made his decision and he goes forward with it. The thing I like about it is that the the rescue mission is basically a a tactical maneuver of the ship to go back to Mars. Uh, NASA director doesn't want to do it. He wants to basically kind of continue on uh, with what they've got going on. Uh, well, the director of a man, the director of the mission is he's adamantly opposed to the idea of doing anything other than not rescue Mark Watney. He wants to rescue Mark Watney at all costs. He basically sends a coded message to the ship of this tactical maneuver they can to basically turn the ship around and go back to Mars, not land back on Earth. Well, okay, the NASA director meets him, confronts him, and it's clear that he knows, hey, you're the guy that sent those uh, that coded direction against my express orders, mm-hmm. okay, to do it. And it, when this is all over, I expect your resignation. That is not said in the book. Okay. Yeah. So it to me it showed Jeff Daniels and the director of NASA as being a stronger character and a guy in charge. Hmm. The guy in charge saw a guy that basically disobeyed him. He's gonna get rid of him. So I thought it was that was to me that cemented the uh the movie role of Mark of of Jeff Daniels much better. It shows him in a more positive light where so. the book I think it made it pretty clear in the book that he was making that decision not to like purely PR where everyone kind of realized like, yeah, they're not going to get that probe done. The pro like the first one failed because it was too, that they didn't have enough time. It's out of balance. And well, they didn't have enough time to build it. And now they have to build another one in less time. They're going to waste the rocket. Like trying to do that is a almost a complete waste of time trying the other plan. Yeah. Because it's going to fail. They're going to waste the the Chinese rocket, and so 
all it does is it's a waste of everyone's time. And what it does for Jeff, uh, Jeff Daniels, the director of NASA, is it allows him to save face. Like, hey, look, we tried. We did our best. Okay. All well. And the book, it kind of really shows that, like, you're literally only doing this to save face. Where we actually have a real plan. Like, the actual real plan is to use the Richard Purnell maneuver. And they really emphasize that in the in the book that there's very little reason not to choose that option. Right. Okay. Because the other option is a waste of time. Yeah. Now, bring up characters though. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay. One of the, one of the things I basically I rated the book better than the than the movie. The the crew members of the Hermes, the six, are much better portrayed as individuals. You get a much better sense of who they are. Whereas in the in the movie, there's not enough dialogue to really to really bring out all those characters on the crew. For example, uh, the commander is well portrayed, the uh, pilot, mm-hmm. and I think it's the, I think it's maybe the, maybe the navigator, but not many else. The EVA expert, you don't really the get chemist. a sense for him. The doctor, uh, yeah. the German, you don't get a good sense for them. Yeah, the German had some of the funnier, funnier lines yeah. in the book. Good, good lines. Yeah. I really liked him on there. It was, I did too. But yeah, he was really snubbed in the, Movie, so, which to be fair, movie does have to cut down, but they do have to cut things. I yeah. would have preferred them to cut down on NASA's scenes. Really? Like, I would have preferred if they cut Richard, Richard Purnell completely out of the movie. I think that would be fine. Oh, I, I disagree with that totally. He I liked him in the movie, but of important scenes, like if I have to weigh him, do I want Richard Purnell or do I want more Mark Watney? I want more Mark Watney. I'll tell you the reason why I think you ought to stay in there. In any kind of tactical operation, such as what NASA does, and this has come out of movie after movie when you talk about space activities, space adventures per se, these got these technical scientists on the ground who spend hours, days, months, they dedicate their lives to doing these very, very technical builds of equipment, uh, the calcul the astrophysics calculations. It's it's a superhuman effort and it's very, very detailed. Rich Purnell portrays that and he's a genius okay and i think you ought to get credit for it and i think like you know it comes out in a number of shows like for example hidden figures shows shows the characters of the uh the female the female mathematicians who basically kind of come back in with the right re-entry uh posture of the friendship seven aircraft coming back in it's uh, i've seen it many times where you these technical whizmos are not given the credit that they deserve. So Rich mm. Purnell represents that, and I think that's a victory for the technical guys behind the heroes, okay, that mm. were able to make it happen. That's a good point. Okay. I still I still miss the scenes. I, I want to get into plot, because then we can talk about the scenes okay. that were missing and the scenes uh, that yeah. we didn't get. I gave the plot in the book a 9.25. That is very high for me. I very much enjoyed the plot of this book. For the movie, I gave it a 7.5. Okay. What did you give it? The book was definitely better, and I gave it an 8. Okay. The the reason why I would cut the movie was because of the scenes they cut out. Mm-hmm. So I would give the movie a 7, maybe as low as a 6. Mm. Okay. So the... Uh, and. Just give people like uh, the preview. What are we talking about here? There's there's two important scenes 
two important episodes within the book, which basically color the the edge that Mark Watney is on, the edge of failure. Uh, at one point, he loses his communications, which have been a life that have been a lifeline for him. He's able to talk to people. It gets over his loneliness. Uh, he's able to kind of cope better because he's got other people rooting for him, trying to bring him back. They're giving him advice. They're trying to help him out. Well, all of a sudden, through a, a short, electrical short, all of a sudden he loses his communications. He's got nothing. The only thing he can do is put out a Morse code signal once a day. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. For his satellites to actually pick up and read. But he has no communications from NASA to help him out. That, to me, that was a moment of high anxiety, which is portrayed very well in the book. Oh, yeah. Which you don't see at all. I, I absolutely loved in the book where he, it went into detail of him investigating like what went wrong of there was a short oh, drill went out and then went to went to his rover and was like mess mess the last message i got was a while ago and then him just doing that investigation of working it out and figuring out how just him because he didn't properly wrap the wire and that touched the metal of the um the rover the rover's metal that it sent the short down and just right. killed, um, killed discover. Uh, was it discovery or no pathfinder? Pathfinder killed pathfinder. Killed the pathfinder comes. And right. man, that that is a really all hope is lost moment. Oh yeah, in fact, man, th- that's a point where basically, and if you have a guy like he's lucky, he's had the communications he's had because it's raised his morale. It, it's got him. It's making him go forward. He knows he's gonna. He's got a good chance of getting out. Maybe not a good chance. He's got a chance of getting out. Mm-hmm. Uh, without those comms in there, without somebody to reassure you, the loneliness can can kick in pretty pretty strong. He's well, a strong character. He gets through it. Uh, and all, of course, he's a hero of the book. What's what else <laughs> he's supposed to do? The uh, the other thing which I found I found this fascinating is that NASA picks up early on that there's a dust storm between him and the rescue vehicle, and he's going right into it, and they're going. They think that he's going to lose his uh, his solar coverage, which is our recharging batteries, and he's going to run out of power. He's going to be stuck out there and not be able to get to the uh, the rescue vehicle in time. Well, Mark Watney doesn't know it's coming, but all of a sudden he sees the dust in the air. He realized something's up. His well, solar power is going down. Actually, quick correction on that: he yeah. actually doesn't see the dust in the air because it's more invisible. Because so the Dust cloud coverage is kind of very thin. It's in the upper oh, atmosphere. He sees the loss of power that he's getting yeah. out of the solar cells. And where he, That's he, where looked, he thinks something up. He looks on the up. horizon and he, he's standing on like the edge of a dune. He looks one direction and he looks in another direction and goes, can't see I much. can see further in that direction than that, that direction. direction. Right. Something's off. Right. And how he figures out that there's a dust storm coming, both that there is a dust storm. And the, and the second, of it. the direction of it. Correct. Absolutely that was brilliant. Yeah. 
brilliant where i loved nasa basically looking at this going he has no idea the dust is coming he's screwed there's nothing he can do he, right. he has no way of knowing he's screwed and he's he figures out a way out of it it's well and in the movie, basically, this just dropped out entirely. In fact, you see one scene where basically he's getting ready to go down into the crater. And the uh, in the book, he rolls the rover. I mean, yeah. he rolls the rover. He he has some destruction of a couple of solar panels, but he's able to get it back upright and continue on. Uh, that's a moment of anxiety. Hey, is he going to be able to get that thing back over? Mm-hmm. That's not even portrayed whatsoever in the movie. So that's where I would say, in terms of the plot, the the cutout of the movie scenes basically mm-hmm. detracted from the anxiety and the edge to the that the book portrays. There's also some scenes that the movie did have, the same as the book, but I thought were handled way worse. Which one? The, there's two scenes. One is so the explosion the when he's making water. So there's two kind of moments. Right. There is there's two kind of explosions. There's the first one where it's a very tiny one. He explodes. It's it kind of handled like in the book, but it's jarring to him. Like it explodes right in his face. He's knocked. Everything's knocked around. Yeah, he's knocked back. Yeah, it, it's intense in the book. In the movie, it's kind of handled as a joke, really. Like explodes, well, he comes back as soon as my ears go. But it, it, he's right back to it. It's handled tonally. It's handled as a joke. But then the set, it happens again of when he's doing all this, and he checks his. He checks the um, oxygen level and he realizes like, oh God, this entire, the entire hab is filled with hydrogen, like excess hydrogen that wasn't burned off. It didn't go off any second. And he just runs out and he's huddled in the MAV going like just terrified of that. My entire home is just a little bomb. Like it's a huge bomb. Any static charge will set it off and he has to just think inside the little rover what can he do to get rid of the hydrogen mm. and that was a, good, a good point. point of anxiety where in the movie is a joke right and then when the airlock blows in the book in compared to the movie in the movie i think it's much better much better in the in the book than in the movie 100 percent, much it, better the main thing is in the movie it's it gets blown he fixes this thing up with duct tape walks back in and then that's it. Fix it up. Kind of done. It takes him several hours in the book. Oh, yeah. Know, to go ahead and basically figure out. And actually, he's well, got a... There's a countdown almost where he, he, has, to, he has to cut his suit right. to be able to merge it with his helmet to actually cover it because it's a huge hole. He has to find the hole in the airlock that blew. Right. And then realizes, like, my oxygen's going down. I can't seal it completely. I have, like, 40 seconds to run into the hab, so he's get my gonna, helmet yeah. and run back. And he's gonna maneuver this this blown out this blown out hatch, which is now lying several feet away from the rest of the uh, rest of the hab. And he's gotta try to maneuver this thing with him inside of it, roll it over to get close enough to get within that forty seconds. Yeah. Yeah. That's high anxiety. In yeah, the movie, right. kinda I agree. Meh. Yeah. So there are, I think while we should talk about plot, I think we should talk about the biggest plot hole in both the movie and the book. The biggest plot hole. Okay. I think we talked about this a little bit before, but it's actually the inciting incident of the story. Okay. Uh, in a in a discussion of uh, discussion of the movie, 
NASA evidently was approached by Mark Watney and the directors of the movie uh, to say, hey, will you support us uh, in terms of making a movie out of this book? NASA engineers had read the novel, loved it, and they thought it was great, but they said there's one major flaw in terms of how the, how the book is portrayed. The, a huge dust storm on Mars is not possible. The air is so thin up there, there's not enough wind to create a dust storm of that magnitude. You can have a small one. Uh, you can have dust storms that block out the sun. It doesn't. True. It, it, it can. But it's it's not a violent sun type. coverage. Yes, but yeah. it's not a violent storm. It's not a violent shamal type of thing, or you know, a major thing which would go. It's portrayed in the movie as being miles and miles, and as well as in the book. I mean, actually miles wide, okay, and lasting for a good period of time. It's uh, it doesn't happen on Mars. Yeah. So they. However, NASA had accepted it. They said, "Hey, you got to have some. You got to have some type of event that basically causes the accident." Okay. However, is it realistic as far as Mars uh, geography is concerned? No, it's not. Well, it's not only inconsistent with reality, which I can maybe give. Like, okay, this is a fictional book. Fine, we're going to give it. Okay. The problem that I didn't like in both book and movie is they explain how the MAV is. So the MAV is dropped on Mars years in advance before point. before anyone gets there. So that's under the assumption like you build this ship and it's you land on Mars and it has to survive these dust storms for years without anyone touching it. And the minute they get there, there's a dust storm that basically knocks it over within the first couple of days. Well, here's one, the if the dust storms like that could happen. Why isn't the MAV built to resist that? Because you would know. This is, and they don't, either that, or they should acknowledge in some way that this dust storm is so abnormal. Like, beyond anything, anyone thought possible. They did say it was abnormal. But However, it, the fact yeah. that you would have this dust storm in this particular episode, it would, would it happen once a year? Once every two years? Yeah, probably so. You, you bring up a good point. Mm -hmm. uh, something like that, there's a good chance that the uh, this this rescue ship that uh, Mark Watney launches off in, hey, that would have been destroyed long ago. It wouldn't last. Mm -hmm. Very combustible. I had the major problem I had with the plot, and this gets basically the, the premise of the novel. You're talking about exploration of Mars. Okay, NASA's program that was had its heyday in the 1960s, you know, which culminated in the, in the mission to moon in 1969 and Neil Armstrong. It basically fell apart because there hasn't been seen to be an economic advantage to space exploration. So here we got a NASA who has a multi-mission, multi-year operation going to Mars, many, several missions. I wish that uh, Mark Watney or... I wish that the author had gone into some type of economic benefit for the exploration of Mars. They discover some mineral there that you can no longer get on Earth. There's some type of uh, resource there. Maybe it's a bridge to something further exploration. Maybe they're going to use it as a as a gas station, waste station. They could produce uh, something there that you can't do on Earth. Anyway, there's no plausible reason portrayed as to why the United States and the world are going to Mars. What's the benefit of it? 
in today's economics and today's politics, just simple exploration of space doesn't count for much unless you got a good economic, political reason for doing it. And that's not portrayed in the book, nor in the movie. Mm. That was my biggest disappointment in, the, in both. What both do you think about the plot point of China actually helping out the United States and helping out NASA by giving up their classified missile to help NASA? It is plausible, and for the sake of the book and for sake of the movie, it, it fits, and could it occur? Yes. In today's environment, absolutely not. And we've already seen, in terms of space exploration, yeah, there's some level of cooperation between space countries, but not to a great degree. Everybody wants to be first. So why would China... The reason why China gives up their, their mission is that they get to ride along on these mission, these Mars missions later on, so they get paid back. And that's only explained in the book, which, to me, makes no, some degree of it, sense. It is explained in the movie. As I, they're doing, I don't. I as they're, as they're launching, as they're launching Hermes Five, Martinez, who's one of the original pilot astronauts, he's sitting next to a Chinese astronaut, who, that's the payback for using the Chinese booster for Hermes Three. I do wish that was explained better in the movie, Could where be. it's not just sure. thrown there. Where in the book they actually, the uh, Chinese director of their space space program was talking about like, hey, look. This is an interesting trade. We can trade our rocket, but in exchange, like we have NASA by the balls. We can get what we That's want. True. Like our rocket could never get us to Mars. Yeah. Like it, it just won't do it. And uh, we don't have the we don't have the space capabilities to get to Mars. NASA does, and we can get on but, their missions. But here now. would be here would be one thing that I would say, and I think this is the point of Andy Weir, the author. Uh it's it's a good thing to portray NASA in a positive light as cooperating with other countries and other spacefaring countries cooperating with us. In a way, he's making a political statement, saying space should be something that's truly international, not just one country dependent, trying to gar grab all the glory. If you have cooperation in space, maybe there's a potential for cooperation on Earth. And mm -hmm. in a way... This is what Andy Weir is trying. It's an underlying message he's trying to portray here. Here's a potential. Let's go ahead, United States. Let's go ahead, the world, and try to portray the sense of cooperation that I've given you a hint of in the book. Can you make that work in real life? Well, Andy Weir definitely, especially in the book, and I think it happened in the movies, is he shows that the political arm of it is the more antagonist it's it is the pr the politicians the director of nasa in the book is more seen as the enemy where the scientists are the ones that are the heroes they're the ones that actually are able to work together and how the director of china the chinese space program said we can't tell the politicians like let's keep this between scientists and that's how they kind of coming across where Correct. even in nasa who are the people that actually save the day and go over oh. the head of the political, the director? It's the scientists that just go, all right, you know what? We're going to screw the PR, screw screw the politics of this. We're going to do what we think is right because this is what, you know, they're just following the science. One of, one of the things I think that that's it's well portrayed both in the book and the movie mm -hmm. is the role of the engineers in making things happen and making things succeed. Uh both in the movie and in, in the book, there's a, there's a section where basically the Pathfinder is rediscovered by Mark Watney. 
uh, they figure out by the way he's traveling, takes him several days to get to the to the last known site of the Pathfinder, which is going to be the communications vehicle. They figure out where he's going. The director of uh, of mission operations, Vincent Kapoor, he immediately goes to JPL, Joint Propulsion Laboratory, and says, "You've got to make, you've got to get the Pathfinder working again." It had been in mothball storage for over twenty years. It had not operated. And they so, get the original team. And they had they brought the original team back, okay, and they actually they get the ground station back up and operating, basically working off their 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 remembering knowledge of how this thing worked. And they were able to actually make the communications work. It's that type of technical expertise and engineering, which is amazing. And it's only through very, very hard detailed work. And I think both the movie and the book give a lot of credit to those engineers for doing that. Mm -hmm. And they deserve it too. Definitely. Now yeah. getting into the technical aspect of the book, this kind of science, I okay. kind of want to get into dialogue and prose. Okay. So for the book, what did you give the dialogue? Dialogue and prose. I would give, okay. I would give the book, I would give the book a seven. Seven on 10. Seven. And I would give the movie an eight. Higher than the book. Yeah. Interesting. Absolutely. I gave the dialogue in the book an 8.5, and I gave the dialogue from the movie a 7 out of 10. The reason why I give the, the dialogue in the book just a 7 is that it's mostly Mark Watney. Mm -hmm. Okay. In some cases, you have the... Uh, and then, here's the thing about the book, and the reason why I... the NASA On the NASA team, the NASA is cursing left and right in these fairly senior level meetings. I just don't think it's realistic. They use the F word a lot. There's a lot of S word in there. Uh, I've been around individuals of that caliber, that level of uh, leadership and directorship, and they don't curse that extensively. They might do one-on-one, -on -one, but in a meeting, they tone it down. They, they just don't use it. Uh, the cursing of Mark Watney, particularly when it's frustrating, is totally understandable. He's by himself. He's going to do it. He's a little guy in the chain of things, not the senior directors. So that's why in the book, I think there's too much cursing. It's not realistic. That's why I cut it down. It's not as obvious in the movie, mm. the level of cursing that was occurring between those senior leaders. I didn't note it, notice it as much. For me, when I'm looking at the dialogue mm. and the prose of it, I was incredibly impressed with the book on being able to explain these complicated scientific processes in a way that That's someone true. like I can understand. Yeah. And it wasn't dumbed down. It, he didn't change the science of it to make it easy, but it was just explained in such a clear way that maybe I don't understand every element of the chemistry. Maybe I don't understand it perfectly, but I understood enough that it sounded believable. And that's actually the art of Mark Watney or that character and being able to explain it to a layman. Mm -hmm. Although I have to admit, I had to read some of those sections two or three times to be able to understand it. And even then, I'm not sure I could duplicate it. Yeah. Okay. But it's, uh, it's pretty technical. That's my favorite part about any yeah. sci-fi or fantasy book. So when a fantasy goes deep into their magic system and explains how they use their magic on a technical basis to accomplish this goal, it's my favorite mm -hmm. part. In sci-fi, whenever they go into the te technical aspect of how things work, it's my favorite part. So in Hyperion, I absolutely loved how they explained the the creation of these portal gates 
like these uh, wormhole gates. Okay. And they go into detail of how it actually works and how the AI made it. All the stuff. Loved it. Anytime that's in a book, that's my favorite thing. Okay. This book was an entire thing of my favorite thing. The entire book, front to back, was just scientific so, explaining on how to do the, stuff. The technical explanation to so, such solve a, a problem. Such a common man can, can do it. I, I just like yeah. when they explain how to solve a problem in a technical way and they get down into the nuts and bolts of it. That's my favorite. And the fact okay. that it, I haven't read that better than in The Martian. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I'm thinking back to a, a Fire Upon the Deep. Very technical as well. Yes. But man, is it hard to under, hard to follow. And at certain points, it is techno babble. Yeah, in fact, I've tried to read that, and I have a hard time with that one. Very much so. Where you have but, this however, one, it's understandable. It is. But look, in the movie, I would have to say that there's some great lines delivered, which mm-hmm. I truly loved. There's a scene where there's a technical problem that uh, Mark Watney is going to have to overcome, and the character play, portrayed by Mark Damon looks and in his interview says we're gonna have to science the shit out of this it's one of the best lines of all time it's a quotable quote okay <laughs> you could use that in everyday life and it's it's very well done and it's one of my it's one of my best lines that i i heard in the movie at all in the yeah. entire movie yeah i i like that line i think it was in the book but i'm not sure now i'm not sure either okay. you're, you're making me question myself but i'm pretty sure it was in the book maybe but yeah, we missed out on a lot of the technical explanations of it, and ultimately we're missing out on a lot of the interpersonal dialogue between Mark and the crew and the crew themselves. I really was missing that from the True. movie. That's why I had to dock it. But overall, you're right. Mark Watney's portrayal was great. I love the dialogue that they did have in there. There's some awkward stuff, I think, on the NASA side. I remember a joke really not landing of when... Um, Vincent, uh, Vincent Kapoor, Vincent Kapoor was, um, <clears throat> basically going, do you think Mark meant, are you kidding me? Or are you kidding me? Like, yeah, I didn't understand that either. It was just, it was awkward landing joke. Like, it was, and it took up a lot of time too. Like that was like 30, oh. 30 seconds to just get there. And what Vincent was Kapoor weird. is saying is that, of course, when Mark Watney says it, he says, are you effing kidding me? And basically, that's Vincent trying to say it in, in a in a in a normal, trying to spin in a it into language. a positive light, turn it yeah. into positive light. Yeah, I, yeah, it doesn't. I get the well. point, but it just wasn't executed that well. Yeah, and so ultimately, when it comes down to it, both sides were handled well. But if you had to cut time, I would rather them cut time from NASA and add time to Marks, because that's that was my point. favorite parts of the book. And so when you're cutting that much from Mark's point of view, all that dialogue scenes, mm. well, in a way, in a way I have to disagree with you because I think what the movie was trying to do as much as it could, and given their time constraints, they're trying to show the balance between, and the book portrays this pretty well, between stuff on the ground going on, back on earth, the politics, the, the efforts to come together to go ahead and come up with a rescue plan. And then Mark Watney on Mars. And it balances both, I think, pretty well. I think the movie tries to duplicate that mm. and, and tries to show, yeah, there's some there's some low points in the characters with the in Earth, particularly early on. But after a moment, Earth 
and NASA, they're all behind the idea of rescuing Watney at all costs. So they're going to do it. Hmm. And so in a way, NASA goes from being kind of the bad guy to becoming the good guy at the end. They're forced into it. Yeah. Okay. However, they come around. They definitely come around. Let's get into the believability of this world that so much like ours in world building. I gave the books world building a 9 out of 10, and I gave the movies um, cinematography a 6.5 out of 10. So these are a little different. This is the different score, but what'd you give it? Look, I would give world building, and I still get beyond... It's tough for me to get beyond the current politics of the uh, of space exploration, so I would have to give like uh, the world building both for the book and the novel for the book and the movie as an eight. I don't see the Chinese coming around. I don't see the economic benefit of Mars missions and NASA being able to pull it off. So believability, that's what I would say, is a detractor. But it has to be pretty good for you to get that eight. I mean, it's above average. Yeah, three points that's above only average. Because the the reason is is that it is possible. It is possible. Maybe, hey, maybe we will achieve world peace someday. Maybe countries will basically look beyond their selfish interest, national interest, and you'll have a much more international bent. It's possible. Hmm. It's possible now, and I would love to see it. Uh, however, is it going to occur? Be very. Hmm. It, it'd be tough. It'd be yeah. very very tough to do. Uh, I think there's, in many cases, national politics will overwhelm international relationship building for the foreseeable future. So that's mm. why I see the Chinese involvement, the lack of economic benefit to be detractors from the worldview. Okay, in terms of like cinematography, of course, I'd have to give it to the movie. Uh, well, of well, it's the only one with the category. Exactly. Yes. Right. Well, <laughs> that's the thing. I mean... You have great descriptions of Mars, but actually the cinematography, the depictions of what Mars might look like, and the red dust everywhere and the red rock uh, is portrayed extremely well. It's well done in the movie itself. The one thing that I would I would fault them on is that the uh, in the movie you can tell a couple of times that they're actually on Earth. Uh, like he he will toss something, like let's say it's a it's an empty bin, and he kind of tosses it to ground. You can tell that basically it weighs the same as as it would normally. Whereas if he if he was on Mars, if he tossed that same item, it would fly around fifty feet, not five feet. Okay, mm. so that's one difference. It's a slight flaw in the cinematography. Uh, it's very minor. Uh, yeah, but I, I saw it a couple of times. The uh, but I would say overall, of course, the mute. Hey, the music that they portray <laughs> in the movie. Uh, is is very very well done. They use uh, all they use, the '70s disco they use music. '70s rock and roll classics, and very very well done in several sections. I mean, it's super, it's very well done. I did so, like that because, of course, it's referenced in the book a lot. But yeah, actually getting to hear it is more fun. That's true. Yeah. Now, for the cinematography, I think the the biggest uh, negative that I had with the movie was the ending scene. Yeah, I agree. Ev- just everything but, with Mark Watney, like trying to fly around there, it just everything about it looked silly. Like it's supposed to be an exciting, tense scene, and I can't help but laugh. Like it was just kind of looked funny. It's and it's probably unrealistic. Oh yeah, that's the most unrealistic part about the whole movie. 
there's a there's a similar scene in Gravity, mm-hmm. okay, where Sandra Bullock is trying to get to the other the other ship to get to get back down to Earth, and she uses the fire extinguisher to propel herself along, which actually makes a bit more sense because you can actually direct that fire extinguisher you, nozzle, okay? and you can also turn it off and on. Like it's exactly. not just a constant. Yeah. So yeah. Mark Watney punctures the hole in his suit, and he's flying everywhere. Okay, <laughs> and it's. It's portrayed in the movie as just luck that he basically grabs the tether line and is able to be hauled in. But, yeah, could he direct that himself? Yeah, pretty poor. But then, then also, I just dislike the idea of the commander being the the strong woman at the end to try to capture and grab Mark at the end. Yeah, it, 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 made, it made her a poor commander. I agree. Okay. But as for the whole world, the reason why I give the book so high, 9 out of 10, is mainly because of the science and the explanation of how it we're, we're Andy Weir is very knowledgeable on does how it, he's able to actually get get this across. Does it it's bring, realistic? Does it bring the science down to a common man? Very well, I think so. So in a way, it's not a leap of faith for you to just accept it. You understand it. Oh no, I I understand. I don't. Maybe I don't understand the exact procedure, like how he makes water. I at the right. very least understand like H two O, you know, two hydrogen and water water. I mean, like. I get it. <laughs> Two hydrogen, one oxygen. That's how you build. He has a bunch of uh, dihydrogen. Uh, what is the fuel Hy- that he has? Hydrazine. 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 And he has that, and he has oxygen because he has the oxygenator. Right. Fair enough. You could. Those Combined are the ingredients the for water. I get it. And how he has to burn off the ex- excess hydrogen. Correct. Because he has, you know, double than what he needs. Anyway. I get that. And all of the stuff with how the short happened, the communication using hexadecibels, and the spinning of the uh, Pathfinder, felt realistic. The How he grew the farm was handled better in the book, where it went into incredible detail of, he's a botanist. How much, how much water do you need per square meter of land? He has to make, he has a seed area of, he has to germinate the dirt first right and then mix then mix that in with the martian soil where in the movie he just put poop it with the potato he like put dirt and then put potato and put poop in there and then that was it okay not as technically interesting as in the book where he actually went into detail of how to germinate a soil and how much water does he need and went through the calculations and felt more dramatic of how he needs surface area. And like, I'm going to use the tents outside. I can use the tables and literally every square inch to get every little bit. How much food do I need? That was so much fun and felt realistic. Okay. Yeah, I think that's why I would agree with you. Many times in a sci-fi novel or an adventure novel, you have to basically kind of accept certain things. There, you're, you come away with the feeling like, yeah, this is possible. Yeah. Yeah. Other than the storm and the political ramifications of one, why they're going to Mars in the first place, and would China help out NASA and the United States? Yeah. Don't know. Other than that, Mm -hmm. the science is so well portrayed and it's so realistic and it makes me excited that I, I really want us to go to Mars and it makes me feel like it's really possible. I'm going to have to agree. Look, in terms of like, but overall, like, you know, we go through the ratings. I'm doing a seven, eight for the most part. You're doing mm-hmm. some nines periodically. 
hey, if if you're going to read a sci-fi novel and if you want to be enthusiastic about the United States or the world doing space exploration, this is a great novel to read to basically mm -hmm. move us towards in that direction. It's a it's a great what would you call it? It's a great propaganda tool, you know, to get us towards thinking something other than our normal little mundane lives here on Earth and trying to get to the next day and have a cup of coffee. Hey, it's something maybe maybe the world could aspire to something greater than just kind of surviving to the next day. And in that respect, that's one of the best things I think about both the book and the movie. Hmm. I, I completely agree. It's a yeah. great propaganda tool. Yeah. And if you guys got all the way to the end of this episode, all the way here, go ahead and comment down below. Books are propaganda tools. Down below, let us know you got all the way to the end. And let right. us know what you think about The Martian, both the book and the movie. If you're interested in supporting us, go ahead, subscribe, like down below, and join our Patreon to join us. And I had a lot of fun, Dad. Yeah, and hey, <laughs> I thank all of you for putting up with my first YouTube experience. Oh yeah, okay. I, I'm I'm glad I had you on here. Okay, thank you. Let Let us know if you want, uh, you know, Papa Richard to come back on for another book or movie take. If you want to suffer through me again, <laughs> I'll be glad to oblige. All right, bye bye, y'all. Take care. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.